The Mac Observer's Mac Geek App, episode 901, for Monday, November 22nd, 2021. Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you, where we are here to help. We are here to help each other. You send in your tips, you send in your questions, you send, you send in, no, you just send in your cool stuff found and we mash it all together into an agenda, hopefully adding uh, answers or at least context to your questions and, and everything else with the goal being that every single one of us learns at least five new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include Quip at getquip.com slash MGG, where you get your first refill for free. Coinbase.com slash MGG, where you can get 10 bucks in free Bitcoin. Truebill.com slash MGG, saving you thousands a year. And Wealthfront.com slash MGG, where you get your first 5,000 managed for free for life. We will talk more in depth about each and every one of those for you shortly here. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are we today, Mr. John F. Braun? Uh, above average. Oh, I like to hear it. It is, uh, I am reminded of, I believe it's, oh, now I can't remember. Is it George Benson or Grover Washington Jr.? It's just the two of us. We have had, uh, why can't I remember who did that song? That's interesting. That's weird for me. Huh. That's going to bother me now all day. Really, what I want to do is run to the Googles and search, but uh, I'm not going to because we've got this thing that you and I are doing here, John. It, it is just the two of us. We have had guests the last two weeks. I've loved having guests and I, from the feedback we've gotten from everybody at, you know, feedback at MacGeekCab.com. It has not just been me that's loved it, not just the, us that's loved it. Everybody seems to have uh, loved having Gary and then, uh, you know, a first time guest with, with Gary and then a long, 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 long time, almost our first guest uh, with Pilot Pete. So, yeah. Hmm. So I could think of one or two. What's that? I could think of one or two people. One or two people. What? Um, to bring on. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll send it to feedback at MacGeekGap.com. Yeah. And I actually, everybody do that. Tell us who you would like to have join us on the show. Cause it seems like the guests are a good thing. It, they mix it up like last week, Pete's tip with his, his adding another shortcut to the print menu. Game changing. Like for me and lots and lots and lots of you. Like I know. So, uh, and then Gary had his tip uh, about uh, the, the MagSafe mount. Uh, for a tripod mount like that seemed to like blow up all over the place. It was great. Fantastic. We love it. So yeah, let us know who you would like to see join us here. Who you would like to hear join us here and we will, uh, we will reach out and, uh, and go from there. Yeah. Ah, all right. So we have some cool stuff found to go through. Shall we do that, John? Indeed. All right. Uh, Steven, Hips us to a new thing in Monterey. Uh, if you go to the command line, he says uh, there is a new command line tool to do a speed test. Uh, it is called network quality. And the way it's listed in Monterey or the way you, it, it listed in the terminal is it's all one word network quality with a capital Q. Everything else is is lowercase and it will immediately start doing a speed test. It doesn't tell you what, what servers it's using for the speed test. 
but it will go out and do a download test and an upload test. And then it, it gives you some, you know, it, it finishes. So when it first started running for me, I thought, oh, it's never going to stop. Like the way it was reporting it, it seemed like it was just one of those commands that that runs until you tell it to stop. With another quick tip, control C is generally the way that you would do that from the terminal to stop something that's running. But uh, but you don't have to stop this. It does the test and then gives you a summary. And I thought this was great having a having speed test built into to Mac OS. I think that's cool. <sighs> but w- w- does this tell me anything that other tools don't? I mean, I ran it and yeah, it gave me my upstream and my downstream. Yeah. Um, it didn't give me what I thought I should get. Agreed. I got and that. I got better results with like a Ookla's tool. Sure. Different numbers. So well, I think the difference is that this is now baked into every version or every computer that has Mac OS Monterey on it. Right. Like, so mm-hmm. it, it doesn't give you information you can't get, but lots of people out there that don't have Ookla's command line speed, speed test tool installed. Mm-hmm. Now it gives, it absolutely gives them information they can't get. So, um, but yeah, you're right that Ookla's command line tool, you install Ookla's, uh, Ookla are the people that make speedtest.net. That's how you m- know them more, more, more likely that is more familiar to you, but, uh, you can install, they have a command line tool, which if you have homebrew installed, you can install with brew install speed test dash CLI for command line interface. Uh, but then you invoke it by just typing speed test from the command line. So it's a little bit, it's one of those tools that's a little bit different. You, the name to install it is different from the name to invoke it. But uh, yeah. And, and the other thing with network quality is there's not a man page for it. Really? Interesting. Uh, unless I didn't type it in right. But yeah, I said, man. so um, in Unix, in the terminal, if you type man space and then a command, It'll bring up what they call the manual page, which is pretty much the instructions. Sure. How to use it. What I think did work is that I think I did network quality dash H or was it dash question mark with with a lot of commands. If you do a dash H, that's usually help. Yeah. Which is similar to probably a condensed version of what's in the man page. So network quality does have a man page. You have to type it it with the with the capital Q. Uh, and it says allows for measuring uh, different aspects of network quality, including yada, yada, yada. And there are some switches for it. Uh, you can tell it what mm-hmm. interface to test. So if you want it to test your Wi-Fi versus your, uh, you know, your Ethernet, if you've got both connected, uh, you can do a dash C on it, which produces computer readable output. So potentially helpful for developers who want to get information about your connection they don't have to bake in their own tool. They can just use this. And then there's also a custom configuration URL. So you probably could point it to your own speed test server if you decided to. So, yeah, interesting stuff. Thank you for that, Stephen. I, uh, you know, we love tools like this. It's great. It's, yeah. It's how we roll. And Warren in our chat room, which yes, is at live.mechgeekab.com, says that the Mac tool reports way slower than fast.com. That's funny, Dave, because um, I've had the opposite okay. <laughs> happen to me. All right. So apparently they upgraded the 5G in my neighborhood, and I used the, the fast tool on iOS, and it was reporting like single-digit megabits per second. And I'm sure. like, well, that's, I, I must have like crummy, uh, crummy 5G. 
then I saw you posted something to a thread and you used Ookla's tool on iOS. Yeah. And you got hundreds. And I'm like, well, hey, maybe I should use that tool instead. And I did. And I got hundreds down and tens of megabytes up. So yeah, it, I don't know what is wrong with the. Yeah, now, you have some insight on why I was seeing this. Yeah, well, they, the tools all use different servers, right? Even even Ookla's tool, depending on what you're on and how you're connecting and where you're connecting from and all of that factor into how it chooses what speed test server it's going to point you towards. On the web, you can manually choose your speed test server. Uh, it, I mean, they'll, they'll give you one automatically, but you can choose one. And I've had to do that here uh, many times. My, you know, now, especially now that I've gotten the consolidated fiber where I have gigabit in both directions, most speed test servers will not successfully show uh, gigabit uh, it, uh, on the upstream. They just they just don't have the capacity to or they're they're not configured to take that. So I have to choose one that I know is and I've I've found that out by trial and error. So it doesn't surprise me that one speed test tool gives you know dramatically different results from another. Mm. It's just kind of how it is. You got to test you sort of need to know what you're hoping to see and that which is an awful way to go go about collecting data. <laughs> right? Like you know like let me let me keep trying until I get the results I want. Uh, but in this case, it really is because it, what you're, what you're hoping when you're doing a speed test, you're hoping that your connection is the weakest link in the chain, right? So that you can truly see what your connection can do. But sometimes you're not the weakest link in the chain. And so you have to find a scenario where that is the case. So it's not so much about seeking the data you're hoping to seek. It's finding the right test case. It's a lot like when people want to test their Wi-Fi in their house uh, and they use speed test to do that. Speed test is testing your Wi-Fi or your internet connection in and out of your house. And your Wi-Fi may travel much faster than your internet connection uh, can travel. So you'll think, oh, you know, I have a hundred down and five up. So my Wi-Fi in my house, even computer to computer or computer to server or something uh, is limited to 105. It's like, no, that it's, that's just based on the test that you're doing. So, which is why we recommend using something like iPerf in your house so that you're actually, you're not, you're not leaving the house. You're staying inside and you can test with that. So yeah, but it, I don't know. keeps it fun. I love this stuff. Hey, you know what else I love is, uh, when you solve my problems for me and Elliot, you did it. So I mentioned in the last episode that, or two episodes ago, I guess that uh, I wanted, uh, I asked Gary, actually uh, Gary Rosenzweig to uh, he's a developer. So I'm like, build me the app I want, uh, which was to allow my iPhone to easily restart my Mac in the case where my Mac is frozen. And many, many, many of you wrote in and said, you know, there is a uh, run script over SSH command in shortcuts on iOS now. So you could do it that way. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. Like this is the tools are at my fingertips. Didn't have to worry, though, because listener Elliot went and built that shortcut and posted it to our forums. Uh, how he built it, what he did, the, the thinking behind it. It's brilliant, brilliant post. So I encourage you to go read it. I followed his instructions which are very very straightforward and simple it's you know what a i mean he he really made it a robust shortcut 
uh, so, which means it's probably four steps or something, including a, uh, are you sure you want to do this uh, prompt before you go about, you know, r- restarting your Mac uh, unceremoniously. So uh, it, but it works great. So I created one, tested it. It's great. And then I duplicated it and changed the IP address and name of it so that I have it for my second Mac that I would want to do this with. And it really works. So problem solved. And thank you, Elliot. So we call that cool stuff made, not cool stuff found because, because you made it. So thanks, Elliot. You rock. Fun stuff. Yeah. Of course, the other way to do it is sharing remote login. And that gives your Mac SSH ability. Well, right. You have to do that first. So what we were talking about was once you've turned on SSH login, which you're right, you have to turn on. Now, how do you go and talk to your Mac? The way I was previously doing it was with a third party app called Prompt, which is an SSH app for the iPhone. So I would SSH into my Mac. I would type the little command and then, you know, have to do it. But that, you know, that's fraught with opportunity for disaster. Fat fingering a command on an iPhone is is a pretty common thing. So this takes care of all of it because it SSH is in without you even having to own a third party SSH app for your iPhone. So, yeah, no, right. this is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah, that's good. Um, I was using YouTube DL the other day. Uh, another command line tool. I know we're getting a little geeky right out of the gate here, and I love it. Uh, YouTube dash DL again installed with homebrew brew install YouTube dash DL is a fan has been, I should say is, is perhaps incorrect based on where I'm going to take this is a, has been supported to be reported to be a way of downloading, uh, an M4V file from a YouTube video, which could be a great thing. Uh, if you want to archive a copy of something that, that you have on YouTube, I do it with sometimes with concert videos. I know there's probably some questions about that, but you know, whatever, uh, I was downloading one the other day. In fact, it was a video of a show I was in. So I felt pretty good about this, but it was going super slow. I'm like, this is weird. Like 85 kilobits per second. It was going to take, you know, 20 hours, John, to download a one hour long performance. And so it was like, yeah, I, I don't know. And so I did some Googling. And found that there is a fork of YouTube DL called YT-DLP that they say has resolved a lot of these problems. It's in more active development and, you know, all of those things that happen with open source tools. So I tried brew space install space YT-DLP and it downloaded. And then once it downloaded, I I used YT-DLP to uh, to download my performance of that 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 concert I did and uh and sure enough it came down right away. So what I what I'm gonna have to do though is re either reteach my fingers to type YT-DLP uh in the future or uninstall YouTube-DL and then alias that command to YT-DLP so that I type it the right way. I guess we're into terminal geekiness. I didn't realize it as I was pulling all this together, but you know, here we are. Everything we've talked about so far is the terminal, John. I like it. It's good. Yeah, let me bring up. Let what are you bringing up, Mr. Braun? <laughs> what's ha- what's happening over there? What tell uh, us tell us what's down. on your mind. Walk us through no, it. Uh, uh, I 
To download videos in the browser, I use something called Downy. I just wanted to mention it. Oh, um, yeah. it works really good. D- yeah. So I think Downy, I, I don't know about Downy specifically. I know that a lot of those GUI tools to do this are based on YouTube-DL at their core, right? Which is the open source way of, of slurping that down. And and just so we're clear, despite the name of this tool, it's not just for YouTube. You can point a Facebook video URL at it. You can point, if it's open, a Vimeo URL. Like, I've done other things with it, and it's worked out really, really well. Uh, so, so it's a good tool. And I think, yeah, I think Downey, but Downey makes it easier. So we'll, we'll put a link to Downey in the show notes too, John. I'll, I'll put that there. Uh-huh. And how did I find Downey? How did you find uh, Downey? Setup. Ah, so. man, gosh, setup is one of those things. I don't think they've ever. I could be wrong about this, uh, but I don't think setups ever sponsored the show, and yet I think we've probably sent more people mm-hmm. to setup than, than any other of our sponsors, which is fine. I, I, you know, we we are happy to talk. Obviously, we've been doing this seventeen years. We're happy to talk about the things that we like and use. Uh, and then occasionally the two, you know, get to intersect and, and that's where the sponsors come from, which is great. All right. Um, we've got a lot more to talk about. But speaking of sponsors, John, now seems to be a good time to talk about our first two. Um, I agree. <laughs> here we go. All right. You know, here at, at Mac Geek Hub, we're always talking about developing good habits, right? It's one of the things that we love to do and we love to use our technology to do it. And good health starts with good habits, too. Our sponsor, Quip, makes it super easy by delivering all the oral care essentials that you need to care for your mouth. The Quip electric toothbrush is loved by over 7 million mouths, including mine and a few other people in my household. This thing's pretty cool. It's uh, got time sonic vibrations with 30 second pulses that guide you through uh, a dentist recommended two minute clean. It tells you when to move to different sections of your mouth, but it's super easy. It's not this complex thing. You, it just gives you a little buzz and you're like, all right, time to move it, it like really easy. Once you get it set up and, and they have like this app and stuff where it can track your brushing habits. And that just takes a few minutes to get set up. But once it is set up, you just grab your toothbrush, put toothpaste on it, put a little water on it and go like that's it you don't have to go find your phone it syncs with your phone in the background it does all this stuff and it's a really nice toothbrush lightweight and sleek no wires no bulky charger to weigh you down and it's got a multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount i've got mine stuck on my mirror uh, at the house there and you can earn a rewards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and more just by brushing regularly and following the uh, the recommended you know the pattern that I that I told you about. Comes with anti cavity toothpaste in mint or watermelon, uh, refillable gum that's sugar free, sugar free, has long lasting mint flavor. You want to go check this out. So. If you go to getquip.com slash MGG right now, you'll get your first refill for free. That's your first refill free at getquip.com slash MGG spelled G E T Q U I P.com slash MGG quip, the good habits company and our thanks to quip for sponsoring this episode. Hey, listen, if you've been looking to level up your financial portfolio, it's always good to diversify, right? Why not think about cryptocurrency? 
backed by the world's leading investors. Our sponsor, Coinbase, keeps your portfolio safe and secure while adding crypto into your mix. Coinbase offers this trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell, and even spend cryptocurrency. I've been using Coinbase for years to manage my crypto, and it's fantastic. You just kind of, you know, you can use it to trade and, like, all the things that they say. It's It, it works super well. They've got an app that works great on the iPhone and Android, of course, but, you know, we're iPhone people here mostly, and uh, it works really well. You can check on your portfolio and do all the things right in the app. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources. You can securely trade and monitor your crypto all in one place, like I said, the app or even on the web. So whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. And for a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at our special link, coinbase.com slash MGG. Sign up at coinbase.com slash MGG for 10 bucks in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. Use our special link. That's coinbase.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Coinbase for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Hey, we, uh, I know we, we just finished our Cool Stuff Found segment, which really was like Cool Stuff Found in the Terminal there's one last bit of cool stuff found I want to talk about in this episode, and that's something that came out last week with Apple's new self-service repair program. Uh, this just sort of appeared on Wednesday morning, and I, like I didn't see rumors it was coming. In fact, I would never have predicted we would have seen this. However, uh, Apple announced this program that gives us, regular people, Access to genuine Apple parts and tools to repair our devices. They they say it's coming early next year here in the U.S. and then uh, throughout next year we'll expand to additional countries. Uh, it's it will start with M1 Max, iPhone 12, and iPhone 13 models, and it'll focus on what Apple says are the most commonly serviced modules, such as the iPhone's display, the battery, the camera, and it will expand to other types of repairs uh, throughout the year. I, I mean, th this, I, this is quite frankly, I think it's a game changer. In fact, even if it's not a game changer, it's a fantastic thing to see that Apple is finally allowing people to buy parts that are certified directly from Apple, as opposed to having to get it on the gray market. And the gray market would essentially be Apple, uh, or their suppliers, but oftentimes it was even Apple, even though this was never said, selling bulk parts out the back door to some trusted liquidator. And that trusted liquidator would then go and sell them off or they would Apple would sell entire iPhones out the back door, like bulk iPhones, you know, tens of thousands of them or whatever. Somebody would take them, strip them apart for their parts, and then go sell the parts. Um, and there's obviously profit available there, which is a fine little business model. But that was the way that parts got into the hands of people like you and me, John. And that's a it's a ridiculous thing, but it's how it has worked for a very, very, very long time. And uh, I'm stoked to see Apple opening this door. Uh, I think it's great. I, I, I really do. It's not it's it's not perfect, but. It's way better than what we had a week ago. I think. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I heard yeah, I heard this on the radio. It kind of surprised me. I'm like, well, why are they doing this? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, right now, replacing the battery in the phone is pretty straightforward, I think. But yep. things like the screen, yeah. uh, from what I understand, it does some sort of crypto bonding thing, and only Apple can do that properly. Right. right. Yeah, and it sounds like that will change, right? I mean, it, it would have to in order for people to be able to <laughs> to replace the screen and, and still get the digitizer to work and the you know face ID and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, I've only had one screen replaced. I think it was 150. Uh, I did it at one of the Apple stores. Sure. Because it was cracked and they wouldn't take it for trade in if it was cracked. Right. Yeah. You mentioned that. That's right. You went across the street or went across the hallway at the mall or whatever and got it replaced and then went back and traded it. I went to yeah. Apple and then I went to Verizon and traded and upgraded yeah. my phone. Yeah. So cool. Cool. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm stoked about this. There was some pre-show discussion, which you're always welcome to join folks. Uh, it's at, always at live.macgeekab.com. You can find out how to join it or when more specifically uh, to, uh, by subscribing to our calendar at macgeekab.com slash calendar. But um, Warren in the pre, in the pre-show chat was pointing out that, you know, this, this might be a bad thing for Apple authorized service providers because people will now have the option at least to do their own repairs. And I think th there's some truth in that, but I don't think it's a, a binary thing, right? Like there's a, a lot of people that will still prefer to have someone else do this for them. Uh, so I think it opens the door for a lot of, you know, lone wolf consultants who are not able to uh, currently procure Apple parts to be able to help their clients this way. But I, it, but it certainly, you know, for folks who are comfortable doing it, great. But I think there's a lot of people who are still going to be uncomfortable despite being able to get official um, Apple parts. They're just not going to want to do it themselves. So I think, I think the, I think the type of people that generally go to authorized providers will still probably go to authorized providers. But, uh, but as Warren points out, yeah, their, their techie neighbor can, can do it now, which tells me that my non techie neighbors are going to be calling me asking me to do this for them starting early next year so that sounds great maybe i'll i'll find my favorite authorized apple provider and and direct them that way uh i'm not a big fan of taking apart iphones or laptops to be fair they're built in layers folks like that's how it's done you know and if you've ever taken apart a lap i mean an iphone's the same way but a laptop you know, to get to one little thing, you often have to peel back, you know, six layers of the onion to get there and fix it. And then you have to go put it all back. So it's it, the, the fact that the parts and the tools are available is fantastic. Uh, I think it's a long it's a it's a huge win in the long battle for right to repair. But it it doesn't it, it's a game changer for some people. And for the rest of the people, you'll still take the Apple to get it fixed if you can. So, but it does open that door for people who are, you know, hundreds or thousands of, of miles away from uh, an Apple dealer like that. I think that to me is one of the best parts about this. So as Warren says, so many broken ribbon cables are about to happen that I agree with. That's the, yeah. And the, those, those fragile connectors that are almost like you're doing your own surface mount solder just without the solder um, in there. Yeah, it's tough. It's tough, but it's fun. It's good. I don't know. You have anything more to, to add to that, John? I'm, nope. cur I'm curious to see where it goes. Really curious to see where it goes. Yeah. All right. You want to take us to, uh, to Drewski? 
Yes. Um, <clears throat> so Drewski had two issues, and this is the second one. Um, and I think I have an answer for him. Okay. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, uh, I still haven't figured out how to empty the trash with a time machine backup in it. I've renamed the file, renamed the folder, moved it to the desktop or another drive, all to no avail. Um, oh. So I tried one. Uh, this used to work, but it didn't. Uh, something called trash it. it. It didn't say it wouldn't work, but sure. it, it didn't. It just didn't fail. It, um, it didn't succeed, rather. Yeah. So then I did some uh, surfing. Okay. Like a surfing bird. <laughs> surfing USA. Uh, um, and I found this uh, really good article uh, that has some suggestions. Max trash won't empty. Here's how to fix it. Um, and it's an article up at MacPaw, and it's very recent, um, like this year. Okay. Um, and I think uh, the best, uh, you know, of course, now, Safari can't open the page because the server isn't responding. Great. Nice. That's excellent. Amazing. But um, but but they have like five suggestions in the article. Um, you can read it. We'll link to it, of course. Sure. Um. I think the one that'll work for you um, is to use clean my Mac X for 10. Um, so they have like a, a, a super trash empty in that. Did you know, Dave, there's not just one trash on your machine. There's many trashes. There's like and, user trashes and system trashes. Is that what? And like music trash, photos trash. Oh, right. Yeah. So yeah, there's yeah. trashes everywhere. Um, cl clean my Mac knows about them. Interesting. So okay. I would. I would try that. Yeah. You know, I've I've been through this a few, as we all have. You know, I, mean, I say we all. Anybody who puts themselves out there and hangs their shingle as you know, I'm a a person that can help you with your Mac. Like I can't empty this out of my trash is something we get asked here a lot on the show. And, uh, and a lot of these tools all sort of do things the same way. So I'm not entirely convinced that clean my Mac 10 is going to do this. And, and the reason I say that is sometimes it won't empty if some very basic level system processes are running and, owning those files. If those files are open, mm. the trash will not empty. Right. And, and we've seen this a few times and one way and there, there's no like definitive, this will always work, but, but one way that works far more often than any of the others is to boot into safe mode and then using the command that's right there. When you boot into safe mode, mount the drive, read, write. Because when you're in safe mode, by default, the drive is read only. So you can't obviously can't make any changes. And then you have to go to your trash and uh, to your trash folder and empty it from there. And like you said, John, trashes are sort of all over the place. Uh, your user trash is and I'm going to find my way there. Uh, but I think it's dot trash. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you go to. It would be slash users slash your short user username. So on my machine, my short username is Dave with with four you know lowercase characters. So it's slash users slash Dave slash dot trash with a capital T, and that's the folder that you want to go and empty 
you do need to be mildly familiar with deleting files using the RM command in the terminal. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and yes, you can screw things up for sure. Like, but the problem is the benefit is also the problem. There are no GUI tools to run. There are no other than some very, very basic uh, Unix level processes. There's nothing running, uh, no Mac OS GUI or anything like that. You're just at a command line with nothing else around it. And, and so that is the way that I've been able to delete things in the past, but there's still, even with that, there still have been some files that won't delete that way. And, and it can be very, very frustrating for sure. Um, so, but try it. That's one way. I'd love to hear about your ways, folks. Feedback at MacGeekCab.com. I don't know. Um, another command uh, that's related is uh, RMDIR, which removes directories. Only if they're empty, though. Um, so like doing an RMDIR on your dot trash directory probably isn't going to help you because mm-hmm. RMDIR won't, at least not, I don't even know if there are switches to force RMDIR to empty a directory that's not empty. I generally use, if I need to empty uh, directories, I will do use RM space dash capital R uh, and then the path that I want to empty because that will recurse through those directories, emptying right. their contents and then the directory entry itself. So it kind of goes all the way deep and then and then comes back up through it. Uh, that that's more probably more relevant for this type of operation than an RMDIR would be. So, man, we're, we we can't get out of the terminal. We're trapped. <laughs> we're trapped in the terminal. I like it. Uh or maybe that's just maybe that's our fault. Like it, it's certainly my fault. I brought us to the terminal on this question. So and I, I think I might bring us to the terminal on the next one. But Warren says Onyx is something that he has used to successfully empty the trash in the past. So I'm, I'll put it out there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any anything that works, you know, we're not proud here. We just want it. We want it to be done. <laughs> <sighs> All right. What do you got? Yeah, man, this was an interesting one. So, uh, you know that I got that new M one pro based MacBook pro recently, which I'm still liking. It's heavier than the air. Not sure if I'll, if I'll keep it or if I'll give it to my son. That's still, that jury's still out on that, but it's a great machine. Obviously the battery has been dying while it's been sleeping. But I knew it wasn't a problem, not dying, but but draining rapidly, like going from I'll put it to sleep at, you know, 11 p.m. And it's at 70 percent. And the next morning it'll be at 40 percent, you know, like that's not good. Right. Over the course of, you know, it was it was draining two percent or more per hour. This seemed like a little much. Hmm. Yeah. So but I knew it wasn't a problem with my with the hardware on my new M one pro MacBook pro, because I was having exactly the same issue on my, um, on my, my M one air. And it, it, it had only started recently. Like it was definitely a, you know, last few weeks kind of thing, but it was certainly happening and it, it transferred over whatever I did with migration assistant brought it with it. So I was like, okay, I got to solve this problem. Like, this is driving me crazy, but I know it's a software problem. Like I've, I've, I've proven that I've ruled that out. 
So I, I started digging around and I found, uh, it, it's like, you know, th- this is always a thing, right? Like what's the, what's the, um, you know, what, what's, what's causing my battery to drain, right? We get this question a lot. So I started digging and I found a Apple discussion article with a command that I found super helpful to me. And the command, John, is <laughs> here we are at the terminal again. I know. <laughs> sorry, I guess. Not sorry. Not at all. Uh, the command is PM set, which is the power manager setter, setter, setter upper configurator. There you go. Better word. PM set. PM set. This will all be in the show notes. We always put commands in the show notes so you don't have to try and remember or interpret what we said. PM set space dash G space log. And that will display a very long log of all of the power management related events. And so this was helpful. And now whenever I'm doing something with a log like that, I wind up wanting to use um, the uh, the the pipe and a grep command so that I could um, so that I can, you know, f- narrow it down. So what I did was, and this is the command I'll put in the show notes, John, is I did PM set dash G log pipe grep space colon a quote. And in quotes with a capital W and a capital R, I put wake requests because I had this feeling that my Mac was waking up during sleep. And as soon as I did that, all was revealed to me, John. And I can't believe we've been doing this show this long and I've never learned about the PM set log command. But this immediately showed me that every few seconds my Mac was waking up so that an operation from an app could run. Now, this made it super easy because I deleted the app and my problems were gone. Here's the interesting part about this. The app was uh, the channels app, which is the, 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 you know, the DVR that, that I've been using. The DVR runs on my Synology. There is no Mac channels app, but there is an iPhone and iPad channels app. And because it's an M1 Mac, I can download I, iPad apps onto it. And I did. And for whatever reason, the uh, it's clean cache operation was running every few seconds, even though it's only supposed to run in the background once every 24 hours. Uh, so there, there was a bug or so I triggered some event that caused it to say it needed to run all the time instead of just one of the times. And, uh, and I, obviously I reported this to the channels folks and they're digging in and like, you know, it was an interesting thing, but that PM set dash G log and then grepping for wake requests. And you could just do PM set dash G log, And then in the terminal, use the terminals find command for wake space requests. Like that's totally fine. But as soon as I, I, I deleted the channels app and then I noticed that they were still happening even after I deleted and emptied the trash. Uh, So I restarted my Mac and after that it settled right in and and things have been totally fine. I'll put it to sleep with 70% battery and, and wake up and it's got, you know, 68% battery. It's like, okay, this is how it should be. Thank goodness. I found this, but yeah, that PM set command, that that's the what a great thing to have found. So I wanted to share it was it was it was definitely something driving me crazy, as I know it would any of you. You don't want to see your battery just 
you know, draining like mm. crazy during sleep. I thought it was like trying to do a time machine back. You know, my mind was going in all the obvious places. And I proved that assumptions are not necessarily uh, correct. So it's pretty cool though, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, back in the old days, you could, I think eh, it doesn't work anymore. So I won't talk about using power D. That was the old way to find out. I think sure. sleep and wake events. You're right. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah, this is different. And I don't know where you would see that log otherwise, but um, I didn't, I stopped my search right there. So, yeah, but yeah, I know PM set dash G log. It's great. But again, you're going to want to filter it down. And so I put the command in there to, to show you how to filter it. It's in the show notes at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, this is show 901. So you'll find them there. Cool. All right, John, let's see if All the right. next question brings us to the terminal. Now I'm really curious. We're on a tear here. Um, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so Rob says, this has been bugging me for quite a while, but it reached critical status lately when I needed some files for a production class I'm teaching. Um, when I try to connect between the machines on my small network, the system automatically logs me in on the other machine using my Apple ID and not my proper username. Note that I have a user on all my machines and is the same on each, and I never ask to log in using my Apple ID. Um, well, maybe it did. Um, uh, I click on disconnect and try to log in using my account on the machine. Almost invariably, it logs in using the Apple ID. The problem is I'm not giving access to the drives, folders, and files on the remote machine. And here I'm trying to access particular files or folders. I've given the accounts Dropbox folder, uh, and I can't get anywhere else on my remote machine. Frustrating. Uh, I'm running Big Sur on, an, on the i9 iMac and Catalina on the older MacBook Pro. My wife's iMac is running High Sierra, as is her MacBook Air. All machines are writing the highest level of OS permitted by the machine or by the software in use. Uh, that last is my i9, which can advance beyond Mac OS 11.4 right now because of one dongle's lack of compatibility. Oh, I hate that. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, at first I was like, wow, you know, computer's like haunted or something. Yeah. Or maybe you did tell it to do this at one point. Um so if it's logging you in automatically, um, it should, as you point out, populate the user field with your username. And I verify that that's what my machine does. But um, the dialogue that you used to connect the server led me to the solution for this, Dave. Okay. Um, yeah, because this is not like I connect to my machines all the time and I connect as a local user on that machine, despite being logged in as my Apple ID on both of them. Usually right. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you'll notice that the dialog box that you use to log into a server also has a little checkbox. Remember this password in my keychain. Okay. So let's look at the keychain, and that's exactly what he did. So you want to go in the keychain and search for like maybe the server name okay or something that is has a kind so there's a kind column uh kind network password okay and that's it so he had an entry in his keychain that would automatically populate those fields with what at some point he must have clicked that button or that checkbox 
And so it's his complaint is that it's logging in with his Apple ID, not the local ID on that device. Right. Right. And it's doing that because at some point he put the username and password and the said, remember it in my keychain. The Apple ID username and password. Correct. Okay. Well, I'm not. Con- did this solve it for him? Yes. Have we heard back? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I ask because I, I would have, in fact, I just said, but I would have sworn that I was connecting to my other devices as my local username, but I did just go and connect to the mini down in the office mm. and it connected me as my Apple ID. So I disconnected and I, uh, I, I then did connect as. Mm-hmm. And it let it let me choose, you know, from that dialogue. And I put in my local user name and password on that machine and it logged me in. And then when I went back, it said I was connected as my Apple ID. And there's nothing in my keychain for there is one entry in my keychain for that computer. And it is with my local account username, not with my Apple ID. Okay. So there might be more to this. Um, let me look here. Mini office is what it's called. Yeah. My local thing. It's logging in with account Dave, not with, you know, my, my Apple ID account. Huh? Huh? Yeah. Cause if I go and reconnect, yeah, it's showing up as my Apple ID, but this did solve it for Rob. Huh? Mm-hmm. Huh? Huh? Yeah. All right. So well, the moral of the story is that passwords is that the keychain may contain uh, a login to a server. Yeah, but what I'm telling you is mine doesn't. Right. I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. So there's, I think there's more to this. But you're right. I mean, that's a, that is a great place to go and look for this. I wonder if there's, I wonder where else it's looking. Because there's no, obviously I'm logged into my Apple ID. So there's, there's some separate thing where that's the case. And now I can't log in at all. Now I seem to have broken it. But I'm not going to try and fix that while we're, you know, while we're doing the show here. But yeah, this is interesting. I'll have to, I'll have to reboot this machine now that I've told it to log in that way and see. So did he set a new, did he tell it to remember to log in using his local account as opposed to his Apple ID? Is that, was that kind um, of the, the next phase? I'm guessing that he deleted the entry. Yeah. And that made it act the way that he wanted. Now, do you look in all your keychains? Because there's a few different ones. Here. I have, I have two. I have a login keychain and a an iCloud keychain, but uh, which are which are the two? I mean, there's also the system and system. Well, system roots. No, that's certificates. Those are you're right. Those are system keychains. Let me see if there's anything there. You could be right. There is in my system keychain. It's the same entry uh, with account name Dave, not with my Apple ID. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, it, it's never, it's never been a problem for me because my Apple ID is tied to the account that I want to log in as, but if I had multiple accounts on those machines, then this would be a frustration for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I got some old stuff in here. <laughs> yeah. The keychain is, is one of those things I, you know, Nuking and paving can can help, but even then, like with iCloud, things get synced back down. Sometimes you just got to go in and clean up Keychain. Maybe that's one of those, you know. Oh yeah, I got I got some stuff dated twenty twelve. <laughs> yeah, 
for yeah. like, uh, here's one time capsule. My time capsule is still in there and my 802N wow. router is still in there. Uh, <laughs> better clean that up. Time to clean it up. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm seeing stuff. I don't have stuff back to 2012. I've got stuff to 2018. I have a, uh, an application password for my iPhone 10. So that's cool. All right. Well, I'm glad this helped Rob. Hopefully it'll help other people. I wish it, um, I'm, I'm not sure it's, it's not, like I said, it's not a problem for me, but you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. And it's interesting to see what's in there too, just to, it, it'll help you understand more how your computer works, how your computer works. Yeah. That's a good way of, of putting it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. You get to see a little bit more about, about how it works behind the scenes. All right. Well, now my computer is going to keep sending me dialogue boxes about how it can't log into the uh, mini office. So I'm going to be really excited about that while we're doing the show. That's, that's a fun little thing. Uh, that'll teach me. But I like doing this stuff while we do the show. So, hey, Walter has a question for us, John. And and I'm curious as to your interpretation of this. So or your answer for this. He says uh I'm setting up a new time machine backup for my 2017 MacBook Pro. I put uh, all most of my time machine backups for my Apple machines on my Synology NAS. So saving them across the network. Great. I'm just curious. He asks, do you lean towards Synology doing the encryption or time machine doing the encryption? I've done both. And he says, I don't see a huge difference. Apple's is a little less hassle. Curious if you have an opinion on the matter. So John, I'm curious I have an opinion on the matter. I'm curious what your opinion on the matter is. Um, I have time machine to it. You do. So you do Apple's encryption. You check the box to say encrypt my backup. Right. Yep. Yeah. So what happens is when you set up a time machine, uh, there'll be an option saying um, encrypt backup. Sure. And then it'll ask you for a, a password. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it uses that to uh, encrypt. Um, I mean, I know you can encrypt things. Under DSM, you can encrypt, create, I think, a secure folder if you want to. You can do it with folders. You can also do the entire shared. I guess maybe we're talking about the same thing. You can encrypt a shared folder and and mm-hmm. just let all of the contents be encrypted by by Synology. You then have to, to, to do that with any efficacy. Once you reboot your time cap, time machine, sorry. Once you reboot your disk station, you then have to decrypt all of your encrypted shared folders. So you can go do that manually, or you can use their keychain manager as part of the, the disk station manager and have it auto decrypt when you uh, reboot. So, uh, so, but yeah, I mean, it's effectively the same thing. It's like storing in your keychain, just like we talked about. So, all right. So you do encrypt your backup seat. I, I don't encrypt e- either way. I use neither. Um, I don't use time machines encryption and I don't encrypt on my disk station. And, um, part of it, it's because I would, I, I prioritize convenience. So I would definitely store the password somewhere, right? I, I would either store it. Uh, if I did the time machine, if I did the time machine thing, I would store it in my Apple keychain. If I did the disk station thing, I would store it in that keychain. Cause I don't want to have to think about, Oh crap, I forgot to decrypt it. I haven't been backing up. Right. Um, and to me, if I'm going to do that, that sort of negates any benefits of encrypting my backups. Because if you can get to the backup folder on my disk station, then 
you've already bypassed most of my security anyway. Uh, uh, cloud backups, things that leave my domain here, physical domain. Those I definitely back up, definitely encrypt. But yeah, the rest of it, I, I don't know. I, I don't. Maybe I'm making a huge mistake. That's entirely possible. I make lots of them. Um, so this might be just another in my long, long list of mistakes that I made. But um, I don't know. I, like it, it seems like it seems overkill to me. And and part of this is informed de- definitely by having to troubleshoot issues with exactly this for uh, people that I that I help with their you know computers or whatever. And you as listeners, right? We get questions in like, oh. You know, every time I can, why isn't my time machine backing up, which, you know, it's sort of an open question. And many times it's, oh, you're backing up to your disk station. Oh, your disk station wasn't decrypting the, the, the thing properly. OK, yeah. All right. So go, let's go in. Let's set up Keychain Manager. Let's do all this. It's like, eh, what a headache. Like this person would not have had this headache if they just didn't turn on encryption. I think I think we err on air is the wrong word. We choose more encryption than is convenient for us often. Um, and I'm not convinced we need it is really where that comes from. So, but it's, you know, it's the continuum, right? We talk about this on the show all the time. You, you choose your point on the continuum between ultimate security and ultimate convenience. Right. And, and so for me, it's, it's leaning more towards convenience. There's still security. Like you can't get into my disk station without passwords. You can't get into my Mac without passwords. So, if you get into one or both of those, huh, you've already got access to my data. Uh, mm-hmm. We're kind of, you know, that ship has sailed. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. My old, my, the old copies of my old data in my backups are less relevant, perhaps. So I don't know. Right. Yeah. I don't know. And I'm pretty sure I encrypt my carbon copy cloner clones. Do I or do I not? Hmm. I, I don't. I think I do. Clones? Oh, you might put them on file vault drives, like you, like mm-hmm. right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That that makes sense. Yeah, because that's that's easy encryption. I'll call it. Yeah. So maybe the right answer, as we're dissecting this, maybe the right answer is use Apple's encryption. Don't use Synology's, because mm-hmm. Apple's encryption is the most convenient encryption that you will find. I think I think that's going to be my new answer for folks that want to encrypt their backups. Is use Apple's. Because that's going to store it in your keychain, and you're not going to have to think about it ever again. Um, mm-hmm. And that's sort of the key. Yeah. All right. I like it. But don't lose your password when you encrypt something. You know, it's important. All right. We've got uh, we've got some follow-ups to talk about from previous episodes uh, that uh, some of which reference back to to some of the your favorite things that we've talked about with our guests. Uh, so we've got those coming up. The next thing I'd like to do, John, is talk about our next two sponsors. All right. All right. Look, how many free trial subscriptions end up costing you hundreds, if not thousands of dollars long after you forget to cancel? If you're like me, you sign up for something, you're excited about it. And then, you know, sometimes it sticks and that's great. And other times, not so much. But, you know, things get going and there's lots to do, especially this time of year with the holidays. You're kind of all over the place and crazy and you forget to cancel. 
Truebill is the new app that helps you identify and stop paying for subscriptions you don't need, want, or you simply forgot about. On average, people save up to $720 a year with Truebill. Because companies make subscriptions hard to cancel, Truebill makes it incredibly simple. You link your accounts and Truebill will cancel your unwanted subscriptions in one tap. And your Truebill concierge is there when you need them to cancel unwanted subscriptions so you don't have to. I started using Truebill recently. You know, when they came on board, they uh, encouraged us to get accounts and like all that stuff. It's amazing. Not only does it do that, but it's also tracking like spending habits and it'll alert me when I it thinks I've done something out of the ordinary, which is fantastic. I, I'm, I'm really loving what they're doing there with Truebill. And Truebill has over two million users in addition to me, uh, and has helped save them over $100 million. Don't fall for subscription scams. Start canceling today at Truebill.com slash MGG. Go right now. Truebill.com slash MGG. It could save you thousands a year. Truebill.com slash MGG. And our thanks to Truebill for sponsoring this episode. Hey, listen, you know, stonks, memes, rocket ships, day trading can all be a lot of fun. But if you want to grow your long-term wealth and make it to the moon, you should open up a Wealthfront investment account today. After answering just a couple of questions, Wealthfront will build you a diversified portfolio of low-cost index funds in minutes. You can also build your own portfolio with clean energy funds, crypto trusts, cannabis, tech, and hundreds of other investments based on what you want to invest in and what you're comfortable with. Wealthfront even offers a socially responsible portfolio, which is a mix of funds built around human rights and climate change, sustainability and diversity. You get to pick. You choose how you want to invest. Wealthfront helps you do it. And best of all, Wealthfront is totally automated. They do all the trading, all the rebalancing of your portfolio, and they even help you lower your tax bill while you invest. Wealthfront is trusted with over $27 billion in assets, helping nearly half a million people build their wealth. There's a different thing between making money and building wealth. And I'll tell you, the second part is harder than the first. Wealthfront is here to help. To start building your wealth and get your first $5,000 managed for free for life, go to Wealthfront.com slash MGG. That's W-E-A-L-T-H-F-R-O-N-T dot com slash MGG to start building your wealth. Wealthfront.com slash MGG. Get started today. Our thanks to Wealthfront for doing what they do and for sponsoring this episode. All right, John. Hey, the uh, back in eight ninety nine, we were talking about iCloud's private relay with with Gary, and uh, mm-hmm. I mentioned that I was not seeing an option to turn on iCloud private relay on my Ethernet connections. I was only seeing it on my Wi Fi connections. I don't know what I was looking at. I probably was looking at system preferences on my non Monterey machine at that point in time because that's what we record on, and I probably wasn't thinking straight. Uh, there is definitely the option to turn on iCloud private relay in uh, on your Ethernet connection and any other network connections like that. So it's it's there. We have been so I thank you for everybody who alerted us to that. Um, iCloud private relay has been causing me more problems since that episode than I had had previously. I know it's in beta, right? I, I, I realize that it's in beta and, and that's how it is, but it's. It's been even on machines where I don't have a VPN installed, like there are just 
moments, pockets of time where it, like I start getting the, it's not working, you know, either we've turned it off and that's the the best when it just fails gracefully. The worst is when it starts making it. So I can't see any of the, the <clears throat> image elements inside my mail or whatever. And I have to go and like, you know, turn it all off. So. Yeah, I, uh, I, I turned it off because a lot of my apps got confused by what it was doing. And they would like ask me to log in again, like provide your credentials again. And I'm like, why? You know who I am. Like your like web the Eero app would keep asking me to log in or sending me a, a, a text to verify my identity. The Eero app. So if if private relay works the way Apple says it's supposed to work, it it only affects it affects all of your Safari traffic mm-hmm. and only traffic from third party apps. If those apps are not using secure connections, it would shock me if Eero oh, was not yeah. using a secure connection. Yeah, I mean, they have to be using TLS. Right. You know I mean? So pri- iCloud Private Relay does not impact your Eero app. That that's that hmm. was something different. Yeah. Okay. Maybe they just thought it was time. To- Maybe they thought it was time. I have this problem. One issue I've had... You know, when I had a cable modem, John, I had the same IP address for months or years even, right? You know, with my fiber connection, my IP address changes all the time. Uh, Mm. Yeah. And so I have, especially like banking apps or, you know, apps like that, some crypto wallets and things like that are routinely now asking me, Oh, Hey, we don't notice where you're logging in from. You should do that. Now. I also get that. I can make it even worse uh, by turning on iCloud private relay because it, it like intentionally changes your IP address and obscures it Mm -hmm. all the time. Uh, I'm curious to see how banking apps uh, or banking websites, I should say, start dealing with that. Um, because that would be, it feels like there's, there's another solution there. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, oh, Warren in the chat room says something and this actually, this makes sense. He says, if private relay is on, you won't be able to set up some of your smart devices. took me forever to figure that one out. Uh, private Wi-Fi address needs to be off under Wi-Fi preferences. So that wait. That's different from private relay, right? We're talking about the, um, hang on. I'm looking sister settings on my iPhone, go to Wi-Fi, go to the thing. Yeah. Private Wi-Fi address. So that's different from private relay. Uh, he says private Wi-Fi address needs to be turned off under Wi-Fi preferences to help set up some smart devices. I'm not sure which device specifically he was having trouble with, but that's that interesting that that makes that that causes that i'm like yeah yeah i'm trying to think of why why would that matter i'm not sure why that would matter that's now i'm confused huh it was a light switch so yeah i turned that off too just for your local network right john Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense that makes sense yeah interesting Yeah, yeah it broke all it broke all my my mappings Oh, it, like it breaks DHCP your DHCP. So do you do a DHCP reservation for your phone? Yes. Interesting. All right. Any specific reason? Um, I like to see it. Okay. 
Yeah, no, no, no. So, yeah, I, I have certain numbers. So like, you know, this machine, for whatever reason, is 202. Okay, sure. Network. Yeah. No, it's just but when I when I run a scanning tool, you know, I want all the addresses to be uh, known. Known. I, I got that. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because for me, I've I have too many devices. So you know, with with uh, well, not now, but at times, four people living in the house, you know, and all the stuff. So I decided the only things I was going to do, uh, uh, reserved addresses for were devices that would act as servers. So our desktop Macs for sure, because we constantly mm-hmm. constantly going in and out of them. But like my iPhone is not a server for anything, so I'm happy to just let it get whatever address it gets. And so yeah, 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 or my printer, same thing. Printers for sure. I do reserved addresses on. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't want to have to guess. Correct. The address of my laser printer. Exactly. Right. You just want to know. Yeah. I, I keep a spreadsheet with all that stuff in there. Um, Mac address and IP address so that if I have to move to a different router or something, I've got it all and it's up to date and everybody's happy. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I think what else? My, my inkjet is a Canon. Okay. So I made it dot three ABC. Oh, I like that. Okay. Yeah. I don't have my router on dot one. You know, I haven't since I moved into this house. Um, and it was because I set it up at our old house in Connecticut where my router was on dot one of, you know, whatever our, our IP range was. And I needed to set up this new router and it was like, okay, well, I'm going to put that on dot 10. And so my router sits on dot 10 and I, you know, it's fine. It, like it, it causes zero problems at all. But it's, you know, it's, it's just interesting that, you know, the default is dot one everywhere. And it's like, no, 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 we're dot 10 here. It's fine. I could put another device on dot one. I haven't, I've, I've, I've opted out of, of letting dot one be something, not a router, but, um, but yeah, my router's at dot 10. seems fine. So you and I are able to talk. So there you go. You want to take us speaking of networks? You want to take us to Michael? Um, did I? Maybe, maybe not. All right. Uh, all right. No, no, I, I get where this is coming from. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. All right. VLANs. Uh, so we're we're going to get a lesson on VLANs here. So uh, VLANs let you segment your network. Perhaps all IoT devices in one group clump segment isolated from the rest of the devices in your home. Perhaps the computer you use for work isolated from all other devices in your home. Uh, smart TVs are known to spy on us, so maybe isolate each one into a VLAN. Uh, oh. On top of that, you can isolate the devices in a VLAN from each other. So even if one device gets hacked, it will think it's the only device connected to the router. Uh, VLANs can also be used to restrict access to the router, again, limiting what a malicious device can go. Uh, with the one time I went to DEF CON, I spoke to a uh, DEF CON is a... Uh, Security conference. Um, I spoke to a networking person there, and he told me that each lecture room was its own VLAN. Smart. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's always great sport at DEF CON, uh, you know, trying to grab people's passwords and then post them on the on the leaderboard. <laughs> of course. <laughs> so huh. That's a stupid password. All right. Um, uh, the underlying assumption is that an infected malicious device can cause our search security for other devices on the LAN. Yes, not just packet storms. Uh, non-techies can use the guest network as an intro to isolating devices, or as I just blogged, a second router. Um, but for techies, it's VLANs. They they may be like the defining feature that separates a consumer 
router from a professional one. I recall you like the Synology router. When I last looked in August, they said they did not support VLANs. I think they do now, right, Dave? Um, I'll have to look. I, I, I'll look while we're while we're talking here, but I don't. Um, I don't know that they do. Yeah. So uh, a smart switch that supports VLANs needs to work in concert with the router that also supports it. So if you have a consumer router, VLANs and the smart switch are irrelevant. Um. Okay. Oh, interesting. Right. Okay. Yeah. This came out of us talking about smart switches and whether or not VLANs were a useful feature for humans like us. And I think I, I think it was me that was saying, yeah, hmm, I don't think so, but yeah, I don't know that Synology's router supports VLANs. Um, um, one thing that does support it, Dave is, uh, so, you know, the beauty of smart switches. Um, so I have a TP link smart switch and it does have a VLAN setting. Though I haven't really played with it, so right. Well, based on what Mike, what you just read from Michael, that's irrelevant if your router doesn't support the VLANs, right? Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like that's where this whole thing came up was we were talking about right. smart switches, and we said, "Well, they support VLANs." And my question was, "Why would anybody care about that?" And Michael answered that question, but without VLANs are great, but you need to be based on. I mean, right? I'm not. I'm not misunderstanding what you just read from Michael, right? That. It, without um without your router supporting it you 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 don't have it right he says for techies it's mm-hmm. vlans the defining feature that separates a consumer router from a professional run uh, a smart switch that supports vlans needs to work in concert with a router right so if your mm-hmm. router doesn't support vlans it doesn't matter that your smart switch does interesting yeah i'm not seeing i mean y- you know most of our routers support vlans in in the in the guest network realm right it's a very specific use of a vlan but that that mm-hmm. is where that lives i'm looking here i'm not seeing any vlan support in um in the synology router i did a search for vlans and uh and it said to go to the local network section but i'm not seeing anything but maybe i'm just missing something i like i'm i'm not I'm not a network geek in that way, so I wouldn't know how to set this up if it were not like made obvious to me. So yeah, I'm not, but I'm not seeing anything about routing VLANs here. It's an interesting concept. Yeah, I like I now that now that you explain it, Michael. That that would make a lot of sense. I'll have to look. I, I I'll log into the uh, the Ubiquity router that I have here, which I'm certain supports VLANs, and see if I can like create a way of of tunneling things because it really it's a it's a logical tunnel not a physical tunnel is essentially what a vlan creates like you say okay take these these devices and segment them in this way and now it creates this logical tunnel throughout it's how um it's how vlans work on a mesh network or sorry it's how how guest networks work on a mesh network because all the devices are sharing the same path but the hardware is uh is separating them your networking hardware is separating them by what it knows about those devices which is interesting right and actually i just did a search here so uh, eros support says that vlan tagging is only available for eros 6 and Eero pro 6 okay all right all right don't you don't you have latest i do yeah i'm not running it as my router at the moment but 
Um, but, it, but it is, yeah, I do have it. Uh, let's see. Okay. Um, yeah. VLANs are supported on a Synology. What VLAN features does my Synology router support? This would be the article. Uh, network segmentation with VLANs. No. So you can do a VLAN ID for your ISP, but that's it. So, okay. That, that answers the question. And so, which type of VLAN support does Eero 6 have, John? Uh, or maybe this is uh, future reading. Yeah. Okay. Uh, virtual. Put a, put a link in the show notes and we'll, we'll dig into it and then, and then we'll, we'll revisit. If there is something there, if the, if the Eero supports it, we'll talk about it in a future episode for sure. Yeah. Um, one follow-up that came, John, was I was asking if anyone knew, if this was a geek challenge to which we got zero answers, which was telling. Uh, when I'm having Siri read me my messages, most often with CarPlay, but you can do it without CarPlay. It's not unique to, to CarPlay. Uh, if someone sent me a message with an emoji, it would be there. Right. The, the Siri emoji would, you know, Siri would, would, would describe the emoji to me, you know, winking face emoji or whatever. And so I was like, great. How do I reply with an emoji? And the answer is you can't. Uh, the issue is that when you are dictating with Siri, it is effectively funneling you through a single keyboard. And as we all know, using emojis requires jumping to a different keyboard, which is not possible when you are dictating text with Siri. So for the moment, we have no way of dictating emojis. Our long national nightmare continues, but we'll get there someday, folks. We will get there. Um, really? You can't, you can't just say the name of it. Like no, it'll spell face. it out. If I say, if I say, you know, thanks, comma, John exclamation point, space smiley face emoji you will get the thanks john with the exclamation point as you would expect and then the words smiley face emoji <laughs> so yeah it's fun it's fun but that's how it goes but you can do the things that i just said the you know dictating the comma the space the exclamation point all of that stuff works really well with siri and it i find it helpful you know text messages are are cold anyway so to be able to add the same amount of personality to my text messages that I'm dictating that I can when I'm typing seems to be a helpful thing. So, um, yeah. All right. So that was that one. Uh, two more follow-ups before we, uh, before we get the hook here, John, one is from listener Donna also back to episode eight ninety nine, where we were talking about remembering how to restart your iPhone. Uh, and that is a tip that's not just for Face ID iPhones. It's for any iPhone without a mechanical uh, home button. So the iPhone 8 and I believe the newest SE, don't they have a, a what, what's called a virtual home button generally, which is a thing that looks like a home button, but it's haptic. It's not doesn't actually move. Uh, these also need this same restart procedure, which is by doing up, down, and you hit, you hit up and release, down and release, volume up, volume down, and then hold the power button. And Donna says, uh, 
I'm one of those people who finds acronyms helpful to learn things. For me, volume up, volume down, power to restart your iPhone is an unknown device problem, a.k.a. UDP, and UDP is up, down, power. So however you want to remember UDP to restart your iPhone, Donna does it with unknown device problem. Us techies uh, that like networking stuff, especially from the terminal. See, I had to rope it back into this this one, too. Uh Think about UDP packets. So maybe UDP is, you know, just the answer you need. So there you go. Thank mm-hmm. you for that, Donna. I, I never User datagram protocol, I think is what that stands for. I love that you come up with that stuff. So you, so there are two type of, two major type of uh, packets. Um, UDP is, does not guarantee the arrival of data so it's good for things like streaming yeah where you need performance and it'll kind of figure out how to put things back together if it misses one or two um tcp um will guarantee order of delivery and will keep trying to deliver things but uh, obviously that takes a lot more horsepower <clears throat> yep cool and i got a joke all right john go with your joke <laughs> A UDP packet walks into a bar. Nobody paid attention to him, so he left. Or no one acknowledged him, so he left. There uh, you go. <laughs> Maybe we'll edit the audio. Get it right. Uh, Tannel, thank you for sharing that joke. Tannel has a our final segment for the show here. And Tannel says, uh, back to show 898, where we were talking about when I got to your house, And I got a notification on my phone when I walked into your backyard that my iPad was no longer with me. Um, Tannel wrote first that I can confirm every time I leave my Wi-Fi, my Wi-Fi only iPad Pro in my car, I get the iPad left behind alert. Uh, Same with my AirPods Pro. And he says a small clarification on that. Um, I can't see its location. I just get the notification and that is the key. I went and looked in the Find My app on my phone. It's the no longer with you notifications that I get, not it, where it is, just where it, you know, where it was. Um, and if I, if you go in, you can see there's a notify when left behind option in Find My for those types of devices. And uh, and I and uh, and so I I just you know. You can set it to accept at home and things like that. But uh, but that's why. Oh, John's phone's still ringing. So we'll just leave him muted until he sorts that out. All right. It looks like it stopped. Fun, fun. We will bring in different noise because the band needs to come in from outside. Thank you for that, Tano. That's great stuff. That that Nice to know that we weren't going crazy with uh, seeing that. It's good. They're coming to get you, huh, John? Uh, I think you're still muted. There we are. All right. Cool. Uh, yeah. Thanks, everybody, for hanging out with us. Thanks, as always, for sending in all of your stuff. I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving if you are in the U.S. and celebrating that this week. Um, that's what I got. You got anything else, John? No. Nope. All right. Make sure you check out our sponsors. As we mentioned in the episode, we uh, we have getquip.com slash MGG, coinbase.com slash MGG, truebill.com slash MGG, and wealthfront.com slash MGG. Of course, all of our sponsors are listed at macgeekcab.com slash sponsors, and we keep all those deals up to date for you as well. 
Go subscribe on YouTube, please. MattGeekUp.com slash YouTube is the best way to get there. You know we've got you covered. Have fun with, uh, with Thanksgiving this week. Make sure if you're uh, traveling anywhere like I will be that, that you do everything that you can to make sure that you have fun. You take care of your shoes and don't get caught. Have a good week. See you next time.